Good morning. Welcome to the Daily Energy Markets Podcast. It is September 27th. It's the end, nearly is it? The, nearly the end of the third quarter. Time is flying and the oil markets seem to be flying again. We've got Brent crude oil up this morning in Asian trade, up about a percent. Uh, again, once again, knocking on $95 for Brent. Uh, so, the question really is: Have we have we now completed the consolidation phase, and we're back to the races? Let's go to Mukesh Sadhev, uh, SVP, head of downstream oil trading at Rystad Energy. Mukesh, welcome back. Uh, your thoughts on the momentum this morning in the oil markets, and have we now passed through what appeared to be a consolidation period over the last week or so, uh, uh, ahead of a of a push towards that? sort of uh, iconic number of $100 a barrel. Your thoughts? Okay, no, thank you. Uh, uh, very you know, pleased to join uh, this podcast. Thank you. Uh, I think the oil markets are, are, in the next few months, are a bit of a phase, two phases, I would say. One is September, October, where the, the entire global refinery system takes a pit stop and does a lot of maintenance and turnarounds. And then in November, December, the market comes calling for more crude oil. So I guess that uh, other than the point you mentioned about the U.S. crude production uh, coming higher, which might put some check uh, on the oil prices, I believe the, the real impact of the cuts and the market would probably start to show up in November, December, when the refineries come out of the maintenance cycle and then they will be looking to ask for about two to three million barrels of more crude oil. And that's where the Saudi cuts would, would start to pinch hard. And that's where we can see a bit more of, of the oil price volatility and fireworks. Let's welcome David Fife, Chief Economist at Argus Media. David, uh, I suppose the, the the supply side of this story is known. Uh, there's a consensus that certainly Q4 is going to be tight, maybe some divergence on the scale of the tightness, but nonetheless, uh, supply is being restrained. Uh, but the question on demand outlook, is the US in for a soft landing or a hard landing? Will demand sort of, uh, you know, plateau and ease, or will it fall off a cliff? On the demand side, your thoughts for the Q4? Yeah, I mean, I, I suspect, uh, and, and first of all, thanks very much for having me on the podcast. It's great to be here again. Um, uh, I think uh, we're probably uh, a little bit below consensus in terms of our expectations for demand. Uh, we see it a little bit difficult for a sort of re remorseless trip towards triple-digit oil if we have this threat of an Atlantic Basin recession. And let's bear in mind that, you know, there are lags in terms of the feed through of the impact of interest rate hikes. And therefore, you know, we've got a, a demand growth level for this year of, of sort of 2 million barrels a day, uh, year on year. Uh, and the implication, therefore, is that the fourth quarter isn't as strong as some people are suggesting. Uh, and therefore, you know, we, we see the market very well supported in the fourth quarter. We see no reason for a major collapse in prices at all. And we think Saudi and Saudi Arabia and its colleagues will ensure that doesn't happen. But we find it very difficult to see a continued march higher 
given the fact that we think demand is very soft in Europe and we think will be softening over the course of the winter uh, in the US as well. Anish Kapadi, a director and head of energy at Policy Advisors. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Anish. Do you concur with David? I mean, we did have OPEC Plus announce uh, their research uh, recent report of a 3 million barrel a day supply deficit in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's massive. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say I'd somewhat concur with David and, and go even stronger than that. Um, you know, when we look at the IEA numbers, they're showing around a one and a half million barrel per day deficit in the fourth quarter, OPEC at, at three million barrels a day. We actually expect a um, half a million barrel a day oversupply in the fourth quarter of this year. Um, so Say that again. Uh, a half a million barrel a day oversupply of crude Whoa. so d- yeah. d- supply greater than demand by half a million barrels exactly. which is a somewhat of an outlier given uh opec plus have said a three million supply deficit iea a million and a half supply deficit the eia three hundred thousand barrel supply deficit but policy is saying five hundred thousand barrels surplus on supply yes and um wow you know, the, the reason for that, it comes down to both supply and, and demand. We, we've got more bullish figures on, on supply. Um, you know, we continue to see some of those uh, sanctioned con- countries increasing production through through the fourth quarter of this year, Venezuela. Like who? Uh, okay, thank you. Yep. Um, but on the demand side, that's where we've got real concerns. Um, you know, I think you've had some good data come out earlier this year, but I think the market is is very backward looking in that. Um, you know, concurring somewhat with David, what we see is the impact of, um, of of the higher interest rates coming through. When we look at the latest data from from the US, um, you, you, if you look at the gasoline demand data versus 2019, it, it's actually down um, over over that period still. So the, you had quite. Um, weak comparisons versus last year because um, last year you had demand destruction from from very high prices so you know you really have to look back through the kind of covid period to see where demand actually is and it's it's weak in um, in in um, in relative terms so you know we've got concerns as you're coming out of driving season on on gasoline um, distillate growth hasn't been great in the first half of this year already, um, and we've we've got further concerns around that. And crucially, China. Um, you know, we, we we've got a lot of concerns around the uh, the Chinese data we're seeing. Well, on that, uh, Mukesh, the, the we had reports overnight profits at China's industrial firms extended double-digit drop for the first eight months. Clearly, the macro headlines out of China this year have not delivered on the sort of year of two halves. China would bounce back uh, after COVID. But nonetheless, uh, Mukesh, we have uh, seen that China's oil imports have been rather robust through the third quarter. Uh, it's a near record levels. Imports are quite solid. How do you sort of separate those two things and, and the outlook going forward then? No, I think I believe that there is indeed a bit of a disconnect between the macro sentiment which we hear versus the demand. Our view is that with the stimulus that's coming, with the easing of, let's say, the aviation sector visas, 
I just read the news today in the Australian news newspaper that the visa restrictions are being removed. Uh, and JET is, is a big visa restrictions where, on what? Sorry, Mukesh. Visa on visas on people's tourism and travel visas is being removed, right? Now, Into Australia. Jet, yes. And I think same thing is happening for other countries. Uh, so our view is that uh, you know the jet demand or year on increase about a million barrels. A big part of that 300 is is in China, and that will most likely come through. So we maintain that despite the macro sentiment and headwinds, the demand growth in probably China is 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 good, is decent. The only thing where things get a bit, little bit murky is then when people compare with 21 and 2022, when China was a very high growth, bouncing back from pandemic, and we, those are not the right years for comparison, because China was in overdrive mode, producing the petrochemicals and plastics for rest of the world. So I think the reference point of 21, 22, and then look at 23 and say China is weak is probably wrong, in my view. China is doing decent. Now, when it comes to the crude imports, uh, a lot of refinery systems in China is coming online and China will buy crude for these refinery systems. Uh, I would say that China is also storing and getting ready, stocking uh, the barrels as well. Uh, we all know that the U.S. Senate came in and banned the sale of the U.S. barrels to China because U.S. was draining the SPRs, the strategic advantage, well as China was building the stock. So I believe China's crude purchase is both driven by strong refinery runs about, you know, uh, in the order of 15 million barrels, plus their stocking of the crude oil. They have been also stocking up the products as well uh, for the future. So I would say some future demand is playing into today's demand and that's where the macro and the fundamentals probably disconnect. And our view is China will probably be, be will come out more stronger than what people think. David, I mean, it is an interesting window for chief economists of anywhere calling at the moment, which of the data points are, does one get guided by? You know, the, as you mentioned earlier, recession in the Atlantic Basin, a weaker, a weaker economic outlook in the Atlantic Basin. But this is also uh, coexisting with, you know, near full employment. I mean, which of these data points do you think determine the direction of travel going into the end of the year? Well, I think one of one of the key points which we we need to keep our eye on is uh, the extent to which uh, resurgent energy inflation ripples through the rest of the economy. Now, that's not going to happen overnight, uh, but if you get towards the very end of the year and you're starting to see headline inflation and indeed some feed through from energy to core inflation, uh, causing the Fed and the ECB and the Bank of England to hike rates again. Um, you know, we could be uh, in the position of missing that much vaunted soft landing that everyone is looking for in terms of what the, the central banks uh, can manage. Uh, as I said earlier on, I think the, the, the raising of interest rates, the tightening of monetary policy is only now beginning to feed through uh, into the US market. Uh, the European market is looking pretty soft. Germany is essentially in recession. Um, so, you know, I, I, I would be expecting a pretty weak fourth quarter and first quarter uh, 24 for the Atlantic Basin. Now, of course, China and the emerging markets can help offset that. But let's not forget that 
you know, interest rates uh, and a 20-year high for the US dollar isn't, are, are also not helpful for emerging market demand either. Well, on that point, Anish, the, the, the surging dollar, where do you put that into uh, the, the, the is, is it a safe haven play? Is it where the weakness of, of, of uh, Europe, of Japan, yen, clearly in some kind of freefall this year? Where do we assess US dollar strength and what does it tell us? Yeah, I think um, I think that dollar strength is you know somewhat a, a flight to safety. You know, given given everything else that's happening in the the, the, the wider macroeconomic spectrum, um, you know, but it, yeah, it's interesting to look at that in the context of what's happening in in the US with with gasoline demand um, as we as we're coming out of the out of the summer months. If we look at um, at the miles traveled uh, data in the US. It's uh, you know it's again it's it's down um, on a kind of two year basis. So the you know the U.S. market does look like there, there there's cracks coming through. Um, still a lot of uncertainty around interest rates in the U.S. Um, and you know I think the, the the other thing when kind of thinking about the U.S. is um, you know are they gonna gonna use the tool of the SPR again if um, you know if all prices you know if, if is, there, are, is there anything left in the SPR to to well, pull out, I, th- I think you know. I think one of the other things you know, when people look at the SPR that um, they get very wrong is you know comparing it to history. The um, the US is now a much larger producer than it was in the past. You've got to look at it on on net imports. If you look at it on the IA criteria, um, they've got they've got plenty of supply. You know, it's, they don't need that huge strategic reserve anymore because they've got their own own domestic production which again is is continuing to rise so you know there there's skepticism about um the us using the spr you know there was was last time around you know if if oil prices do kind of creep up to the 100 dollar per barrel mark we think the us could could come out and use the spr and you know similar similar story in china as well if you look at um if you look at china um net um net imports you're you're close to 200 days of of cover for china so you know they they build up their inventories when prices are low if prices kind of get to that um dollars mark i think you'd also see china raining back on purchases or even um destocking on that point uh, mukesh your thoughts on where that goes with china i mean does there, there are sort of reports that indicate that one of the reasons uh, the Saudi has extended its oil supply cuts through the fourth quarter, its voluntary one million barrel a day, is to try and compel uh, China to drain some of that uh, very, very large inventory build. Your thoughts on the outlook for China uh, digging into its inventories rather than maintaining sort of bumper imports? Now, I think uh, here I would point out that uh, there is a volume story, but there is a quality, crude quality story here as well. Uh, Because as we are coming out of pandemic uh, globally, like jet demand needs to recover and we need refining system needs to make jet. But let's also remember that pre-pandemic, we were living in a a pre-IMO 2020 world. Today, we want to make very low sulfur fuel, which also needs a bit of a diesel and a jet. So we have to make more jet, more diesel, more VLSFO, four products to be made out of the system, right? 
And Saudis know very well that for refineries to optimize and make all of these things in greater quantities, they need the medium sour barrels because then refineries can do a bit of the bottom of the barrel upgradation, right? So a lot more shale oil can come, US can send the oil, but it's not the right kind of the oil which the refining system needs to make more of everything. So to, to me, even if uh, there is something around to be said around the volume of the oil deficit, the quality deficit is going to stay stronger. Now, that's where I believe, which is hard to pinpoint, uh, is that what kind of oil China has put in the storage, right? Whether it's a medium sour oil or is, is, a, is a light oil, I of the opinion that probably China has some unsanctioned uh, barrels which uh, uh, sneak through Malaysia. We have seen a Malaysian system being used to get oils into storage. I'm sure Venezuelan oil, Iranian oil is there in the China's, you know, in the stocks. How much they will bring out and how much they will continue to buy, I think that's, I would not speculate on that because it's a bit of a harder thing to do. But what I do know is, as we go into the Q1, uh, as more travel eases up, the demand sort of stays decent and strong. Uh, if we compare in the right way, uh, China will continue to probably buy more crude oil going forward and not less crude oil from November, December period. We all talk about something called silver September, golden October. I, I sometimes get it wrong in China, but I think those, 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 those two months are also coming uh, in the Chinese system. So my view is that, yes, a lot of macro sentiments, recession, all, uh, all these things has been there uh, for quite some time, but the underlying reasons are still, are still strong for the oil market and Saudis will not only play the volume game, but they will continue to play the quality game of cut. And in my view, this will last at least the summer of 2024, and then hopefully Saudis will believe that demand will start doing the job of keeping the oil prices high rather than the cuts and the supply cuts. David, on the sort of move into, into uh, winter and Europe, how are, is Europe placed for, obviously last year was the big drama of the uh, Russian uh, uh, cutoff of gas and, and and access to just about everything, um, and that progressively introduced the oil price cap, which now seems uh, something I don't know if it's redundant, but certainly not at the forefront of people's thoughts. Where is Europe at? Can we expect a surge in demand from European prep for winter to ensure they've got everything they need? Well, nat gas stocks in, in Europe are pretty healthy. They're well above 90% fill. Um, you know, so I don't think there's an issue with that uh, necessarily. And our view for, for nat gas over the course of the next six to nine months is that the European market looks relatively well supplied. We don't envisage a major uptick in Asian, an Asian pull on LNG uh, over the next six to nine months. Uh, although demand there is relatively robust. So we think Europe is, you know, all other things being equal, fairly well served for the winter in terms what of... What about the, the Russian uh, fuel export ban? 
Yeah, well, that that is a key issue, clearly. You know, we've got diesel cracks in Europe that have recently been oscillating between $35 and $40 a barrel. Um, uh, arguably, that's the sort of level that they need to be to pull in a replacement for Russian uh, diesel. Now, obviously, if Russian diesel is shut out more broadly from the international market, um, then, you know, it's going to be more difficult for Europe to pull in that fuel from elsewhere. Our expectation is that the export ban from Russia is likely to be relatively short duration and has been well documented elsewhere. You know, part of the reason for that is that the Russians themselves have very limited uh, products storage capacity. Uh, and therefore, you know, they're going to have to, if they don't want to shut down their refineries and cause renewed domestic pricing problems, they're going to have to uh, rescind the ban probably within the next four to six weeks at the most. Let's go to the survey question, which touches on this uh, point regarding uh, the Atlantic Basin uh, achieve soft or e- uh, economic landing or hard uh the the, the that that sort of uh, you know threat of the first half of the year where everybody had anticipated and called for a a, a hard recession uh, and it never came uh, and have we has that just been postponed or has it indeed uh, been um uh, cancelled and 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 uh, a bit like uh, the 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 woke system we're all being cancelled even the recession has been cancelled anish uh, that's obviously a very big question going into the fourth quarter for all central bank policymakers who thought they probably were done, uh, but now facing um, some questions, particularly when you look at the the, the time lag feed through from mm-hmm. these elevated diesel and and middle distillate prices. But crude, you could take it on the chin. Is ninety a lot? Is it not a lot? But certainly the middle distillates will will be filtering through to all of our daily lives. Uh, your thoughts on where central banks go in the fourth quarter and its follow through and its impact for the energy markets? Yeah, so I, I think you need to look a little bit further afield in terms of um, the, the wider market. So you, you look at the wider markets in the US, it's been very much driven by tech, it's been driven by AI. Um, so, you know, the market's done very well this year. If you strip all of that out, it's been a pretty weak market. Um, and I think again, that's somewhat what the um, what, what some people are missing in terms of the underlying demand that you're seeing in in the economy. So you know, underlying demand in the U.S. is not great. It's just being masked by the um, the phenomenal performance you're seeing from from tech stocks. Um, I, you know, I think a similar thing in Europe. If you look at um, you know, we're talking about natural gas. Natural gas demand in Europe is down sharply this year. The industrial activity hasn't recovered despite uh, a big drop in gas prices to, to much more, more, more reasonable levels. Um, so, you know, I think that there is that risk of a, a harder landing. You know, you, you add to that that, you know, inflation hasn't been um, taken under control in, in many economies. And you're going to have a further fight with 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 rising energy prices now. So, you know, I think there's a lot of headwinds for for many of the economies around the world, developing markets, but also I think the emerging markets as well. You know, the emerging markets, um, you know, China's probably 75 percent of, of global oil demand growth this year. 
Um, 25% coming from the remaining emerging markets. And, you know, with the issues that we're seeing in China as well, um, you know, you put all that together, it, you know, it, it does, does look like you're, you're looking towards a harder landing, certainly on the underlying data than a, than a softer landing. On that point, Mukesh, China and, and soft and hard landings, has the Chinese economy landed yet? Is this ever grand? It seems to be this constant drip feed of headlines uh, over the last, I don't know, 12 to 18 months now. We're a day away from the shoe dropping to be dramatic, and yet somehow they, uh, they're they able to manage it. Uh, your thoughts on where the, the, the Chinese economy uh, has bottomed out in its challenge coming out of COVID, its challenge with these real estate developers who are, you know, it's a bit like the recession in the Atlantic Basin. It never arrives. Similarly, the kind of Armageddon uh, predictions for the Chinese real estate construction industry never seems to arise. Arrive. Have we have we now passed through the worst of that? I think so. Based on uh, we track a lot of uh, real time activity data as well in the sectors, and I think real time aviation, real time uh, road transport systems. Right. Yes, we had seen that the first uh, half of the year was very good, very robust. Right. So there had there was some contraction from the main numbers, which were very high, coming high. But at this point of time, sitting where we are, I think uh, the stimulus uh, package, which has come, and China will continuously put more stimulus into the economy. So these counter forces, our view is that uh, this will lead towards a more smoother recovery of the demand in the Chinese system. And China will probably, some of the restrictions, the, the COVID-related restrictions on aviation sector will go away. So I, our, our view is that probably, yes, I think those things are bottomed out and, and China will come back and not grow at the much higher rate of 21 and 22 when they were producing for rest of the world, when rest of the world was in lockdown, right? Now the rest of the world has come back. So China obviously does not need to produce at that higher levels. So right reference is the way to look at China. And in that way, our view is that these stimulus packages will work and probably China's economic system will find its way on the path to recovery versus going more uh, down into problems. Would that, Bukesh, just to close out that comment, would that include achieving their, you know, as they do each year, set a target for economic growth? This year, it's the Chinese government has set 5% for the, the growth of this year. Uh, will that be achieved no matter what, sort of massaged or otherwise? Well, you said you said the answer in your question is itself, right, uh, massage, right? So I think... Uh, there are a lot of contradictions, I would say, sometimes in the data, one sector, things don't add up very well. So whether they will achieve the number by by some contradiction is data hard to hard for me to say. Uh, yeah. But certainly, uh, I, I guess that uh, somewhere around that number is probably their target. And if one sector of the economy, like the real estate, does not perform, I'm sure some of the other sectors, the economy will will do the job, and and will will you know continue to evolve at a at a slower pace, but at a bit more steadier pace. David, last word for you as we come to the end of our half hour. The we're we're now trading into the end of the year anyway, and 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 the the markets 
our uh, contracts will be rolling over and, and, and we'll be into sort of January, February delivery uh, of the next cycle. So in terms of that, we're nearly from a trading and delivery point of view, moving into the weaker part of the of this of the year if you like the calendar the 12 months in the first quarter uh, have we missed the window to get to a hundred dollar oil even if you were feeling bullish i mean just from the mechanics of the annual cycle that uh if we haven't got there now we won't get there because we're moving into that weaker window on a trading level i mean i i would say on a trend basis you're right um we don't see the underpinnings out there being sufficiently bullish um for us for us to get there now you know could there be an outage a supply disruption um you know a sudden sharp uh period of of colder weather that coincides with uh you know disruptions to russian diesel supplies of course we could spike to triple digit oil at any time but on an underlying basis we have prices beginning to fade as we head into the first quarter um, I put on the the survey that you flashed up on the screen for us what I called a soft landing, but my definition of a soft landing uh, is one in which indeed the Atlantic Basin uh, has two consecutive quarters, the fourth quarter and the first quarter, a very brief and fairly shallow uh, contraction. Um, and that to me is the soft landing. And that to me also seems... Um, incongruous with on a trend basis triple triple digit rent well it's certainly there's there wouldn't be the first counterintuitive thing to happen uh, this year if indeed we even went into recession and saw $100 oil at the same time, or even full employment and recession. Uh, uh, you know, you, you didn't lose your, your your main job, but you lost the second and third job you had to work in order to pay the bills. So it is a very strange time for, for, for that sort of coexistence of different macro data. And at the same token, you know, China's having a horrible year, and yet they're having record oil imports. It's all a little bit counterintuitive. And I suppose we have to expect that to continue we will be posting our survey question on social media alongside this podcast in the next half hour. So please go there and uh, uh, support the, the 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 retweets and so forth. Thank you so much, Anish Kapadia, for your time this morning and your insights. Mukush Sathev, I hope all in Australia have recovered from that humiliating beat from uh, Wales on the weekend. Woof. 40 yeah. to 6. I don't think I've ever seen that. Another counterintuitive moment. Never seen that before. And of course, David in London uh, from Argus. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to having you guys back soon again. Take care and have a good week. All the best.